You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Hello, everyone. My name is Susie Squire. I'm the president of the Retail and Hospitality ISAC. And I'm Lee Clark, Cyber Threat Intel Writer and Analyst, and this is the RHISAC Podcast. Lee, it's so great to have you back with us on the podcast. Thanks, Susie. Glad to be here. Hey, I know you've been busy lately sharing threat briefings and other intel on all of RHISAC's sharing channels, so we thought we'd invite you in on the podcast to share a little bit about a report that you worked on recently, um, the 2022 Verizon Data Breach Investigation Report, DBIR, and specifically how it relates to the retail and hospitality communities. Sure. So the Intel team and the data team here at the RHISAC did some analysis comparing our community's sharing data with the data that the Verizon researchers had for the retail sectors, the hospitality sectors. Uh, arts and entertainment, as well as a couple of uh, geopolitical locations, right? I want to share with y'all some of those threats that we saw the most prevalently and the similarities and differences we found uh, between our data set and the data set published by Verizon. Well, that's awesome. You know how I always love how we can take our intel, our data, and see how it matches up with larger industry reports like the Verizon DBIR report. So really looking forward to hearing more about that. But first, I have the pleasure of talking to Nate Carl, CEO and co-founder, and Anthony Makara, head of product success at SPEC. Uh, it's a great, interesting new product. They're going to share with us some of the challenges retailers are facing with fraud detection throughout the customer journey. They used uh, information from their work dealing with some of the largest retailers in the country on how to rethink fraud detection. All right, all right, all right, Susie, I'll turn it over (laughs) to you, Nate, and Anthony to get us started. Great. Thanks, Lee. So just to start some things off, Nate, why don't we start with you, maybe just a little better introduction than I did, and then tell us a little bit about SPEC. Sure, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, Anthony and I uh, at SPEC, we built fraud solutions for some of the largest merchants, marketplaces, and financial institutions uh, during our time at ThreatMetrics. And we saw some really interesting things there. But the biggest thing that stuck out was at the absolute top of the market, uh, you know, businesses like Amazon, like, you know, we were like the, the tech leaders, really were a full generation ahead of everyone else when it came to the trust platforms that they used to ensure that good customers had frictionless experiences uh, and bad actors you know, were, were mitigated. Uh, so we built spec specifically to make it easy for merchants and marketplaces to adopt a next generation fraud infrastructure. Awesome. Anthony, anything you want to add about yourself or to what Nate already provided? Absolutely. First of all, thanks for having me. It's really, really great to be here. Um, as Nate mentioned, you know, I really start my journey here in fraud fighting at uh, Threat Metrics. And over there, we, we managed professional services engagements with some of the top financial institutions, e-commerce businesses, and the challenges that they faced really persist throughout the industry still today. And as Nate mentioned, really the, the top companies out there, they've got, you know, strategies locked down because they have the resources uh, and the infrastructure to do so. And really what we're looking to do at SPEC is uh, provide that same infrastructure to the everyday business as well as the, these uh, fraud analysts at large. Well, great. Well, thanks. And sounds like you guys do have a lot of experience in the anti-fraud measures with some of these uh 
I said, very large companies that have the resources to, to put toward it, which is really interesting. Going in a little bit deeper into that, what are some of the challenges that you most commonly see in e-commerce fraud detection? Uh, Anthony, you want to go uh, go first on this one? Sure thing. Yeah, I'll, I'll tackle this. It's a, it's a loaded question, um, but I think there's there's a lot to unpack there. And so when it comes to e-commerce fraud, you know, some of the, the common issues that we see are really lack of visibility, right? So as these customers are journeying throughout uh, your application and they are uh, going through pretty typical standard checkpoints, such as authentication, right? Uh, and then once they log in post-authentication, they're actually, you know, using your application. They're maybe searching and browsing for items, trying to make purchases. All of this data is actually segmented, right? And they're, they're specific checkpoints. And it's great to go ahead and, you know, make API calls for risk assessments at those checkpoints. Um, that's very valuable, right? You can make some better informed decisions with that information, but it's really the context of stitching that information together across an entire journey that tells the entire story. And that really uh, provides you know, businesses with the access to the full information that they need to make completely informed decisions. Something that we talk about often at SPEC is data silos. And so this idea of this approach of actually looking at the entire user journey as opposed to these specific checkpoints, helps remove those data silos so that you can use information from earlier in the session or or journey at later points in that session, maybe when a user is uh, making a purchase rather than just logging in. Interesting. Uh, Anything else, Nate? Yeah, I mean, I would add to that, like, fraud is a really interesting and difficult thing to tackle from an organizational perspective. Like, yeah, as we're out talking to people who run trust and safety or uh, run fraud groups, you know, they run into issues where uh, our conversations feel more like workflow therapy than anything else. It's about you know how they were at their kid's soccer game over the weekend. They got a call about a $100,000 fraud demo that was emerging, and now they need to reach all across their organization for really sensitive data to solve what is effectively like a pretty routine problem. So the the axiom that I keep hearing over and over from people that we talk to is that they spend, you know, fraud fighters spend more time fighting for engineering resources or fighting for access to data than they actually do fighting fraudsters themselves, right? Um, So, you know, and and that creates a lot of inertia and a lot of frustration to get those things done when oftentimes the same things that they're working on are really important insights for their counterparts in security. They're really important insights for their counterparts in digital experience. And like the biggest thing that we see that that runs into this is it's hard to place unless you're at the right elevation. But like from an executive level, we have uh, it, you know, at our time at spec as well as, you know, in our past lives, seen so many markets that weren't entered or products that weren't launched or were descoped or were delayed where markets were missed because they just could not get the right controls in place before they could get there. Uh, and like, and it, it's, it is so easy for these individual teams to look at the individual thing they're metriced on and just miss the bigger picture yeah. about how they're not able to come to the market with the other things that they want to uh, because they just can't get the productions in place. Interesting. And you talk about how they're talking with their counterparts in the digital experience and you talk about the customer journey. So how much have you taken that customer journey into account as you develop your, your product? And trying to create like a, a frictionless experience or, you know, not holding back the, the purchase or, or something. Totally. Yeah. Anthony, I'll let you take the product question. Sure. Thank you. 
Yeah, so the, the customer journey really that, that approach is at the core of what we do at Spec. Um, as I as I mentioned earlier, uh, we're looking at a holistic approach here, and so really what we're doing is empowering businesses to understand the many permutations of how users can interact with an application, right? And that could be good users, legitimate users, right, as well as those bad actors um, and then you know the fraudsters that are trying to take advantage of of your services. And so by continuously assessing customers' uh, risk across checkpoints, mm-hmm. not only are you uncovering where fraudsters may be carrying out their, their strategies against you, but you're also revealing the context leading up to these events. And so that really allows you to uh, implement the strategies, the defense strategies necessary to really you know, defend against those threat actors. But on the flip side is that uh, you're actually understanding the legitimate user journeys as well, right? And this allows you to take a more proactive approach, right? And so you can procure experiences for your good users, your legitimate users, to make sure that friction is removed and really kind of work with that dichotomy of fraud versus friction, right? And then the other thing that's interesting about you doing, we hear it all the time about, you know, automation, AI, helping to solve, helping to connect the dots, so to speak, of what you're saying. So can you give us a little bit more of how you're using those two tools for your for your product in fraud detection? And I don't know if that's an Anthony or Nate question, sorry. I, I can I can start on this. So I will say from a from a holistic perspective, and this is maybe a bit personal, I, I'm generally frustrated that AI is relegated to agonizing over how to best optimize a decision from a narrow set of data and a really narrow checkpoint. Um, like that's really, really common. Like, especially in the anti-fraud space, there are a lot of solutions out there that uh, are basically APIs where they say, like, give us an IP address, an email address, and you know, maybe a payment instrument and maybe an IP, and then we'll do AI magic, right? And like, that's not a lot of data and not a lot of samples to arrive at that, you know, and just agonizing of that. Like, we feel like a better way uh, to use AI is to find all of the data that you're collecting from all of your different systems all across the customer journey and then finding ways to programmatically normalize that, bind that together and bring more data to solve these problems, more data to make these decisions. Uh, So it becomes a lot more clear and a lot more easy to communicate and a lot more contextually relevant to all the different people that it impacts. Like, so like fraud, you know, is really a team sport. Uh, You know, fraud fighting is a team sport, but like everyone is, looking at a different scoreboard. So your people in AppSec or security might be looking at bot mitigation or they might be looking at, uh, you know, know, credential stuffing attempts. Your people in payment fraud might be looking at chargebacks or they might be looking at declines. So just getting everyone aligned to one single continuous stream of information to really align on that customer journey is like a big piece of it. It's something I'm pretty passionate about. I write about it a lot. But there is, you know, if you think about all the teams that come into uh, into play when you're delivering a customer experience from authentication, fraud, uh, your checkout experience, payments, uh, your security teams, being able to use AI and use automation to take all of the data that they work on individually and bring that together holistically, like we feel is one of the most relevant ways to apply that type of technology. Um, yeah. Anthony, I'll let you get up on that if you Sounds very common sense. Anthony? <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, I'll talk about sort of AI and ML at a, at a higher level. I think, you know, a healthy fraud defense strategy uses AI and machine learning solutions as well as a rules-based, you know, mechanism as well. I, I feel like often we talk about rules-based, like fixed thresholds versus these optimized machine learning uh, solutions and their thresholds. 
And I think the answer really is that a healthy mix of both of, of these uh, tools is really what's going to you know get you to the the best uh, you know defense strategy for your business. And there's you know there's pros and cons of both, but when it comes to you know AI and machine learning, we're talking about really large data sets, right? And we're talking about global consortiums. Oftentimes, very granular information. When you start looking at behavioral data and you're collecting like device sensor, you know, in- information, right, from maybe a mobile accelerometer or like a gyroscope on your phone, that's really where these solutions uh, shine, in my opinion, right? You're, you're capturing and training these models on large sets of data, and they're informing your your teams, your fraud teams, about potential risks. And now, you know. On the downside there, not necessarily the downside, but just uh, the reality of the situation is that the explainability uh, lacks to some degree, right? You know, these are machine learning models. Uh, for the most part, they are these black box models. And so, you know, the reason codes that they produce and sometimes can be vague, right? For example, if, you know, I am you know, entering my password for an application and, you know, there's some behavioral biometrics, you know, that's analyzing that. And it comes back saying that, you know, there's some keystroke anomaly, right? Well, then the fraud data analyst on the other end might have to take that information to a stakeholder internally, right, and explain that. And that's that's really where rules-based systems shine, right? Because in that scenario, you wouldn't be able to say, well, Anthony, you know, maybe you mistyped your password two times and then you entered it correctly. And that was the cause of the keystroke you know, anomaly. The reality is the model just simply sometimes can't tell you. There's there's too much information that it's analyzing and it can't you know, unpack that in a way that is you know, deterministic. But rules based models are deterministic and uh, they really do produce an audit log that you can take internally and explain full uh, procedure and process that led to the outcome that you know you're seeing, and so that's a very long-winded way of saying that I think AI and machine learning is great. I think it will continue to lead many facets of our industry, but I do think rules-based systems are here to stay as well, and the two will you know work you know in in parallel. Uh, they've got some great synergies together. Great. <clears throat> One question that we we didn't touch on before, but we'd love to hear your perspective. Are you seeing fraud and security teams working closer and closer together now? Or, you know, I know that in some, in a little bit, there's some movement within uh, information security of taking on more fraud within cyber realm. I'm just curious if you, if you've seen that, I know you deal with a lot of people, or is it still, you know, pretty, maybe not necessarily siloed, but separate teams, like you said before, that are just having to work together? Or is it more of that fusion fusion concept? Totally. Yeah, no, that's that's an excellent call out. Like, uh, organizationally, fraud teams end up in a different spot, it seems like, in every single enterprise. So sometimes it rolls up to the CFO. Sometimes it rolls up to the CIO or the CISO. Sometimes it might roll up to a general manager. So we find that fraud teams are positioned differently in all different types of organizations. Sometimes that is more uh, determined by the market that they serve or if they started out brick and mortar or if they were always digital first. But what we have found is that the the natural touch point that every organization uh, runs into is specifically around account security. So credential stuffing and bot management, like these are just crucial spots where these two teams touch each other. Uh, and it really just turns into what does that collaboration look like? Is it a collaboration because there's a shared capability that each team needs, or is it, you know, a collaboration in the sense that like account security is everyone's business, you know, and the two of them, you know, plug together to, to figure that out in, in a much more, I think, like significant way. Um, there are definitely some, 
significant concerns that go into like there's some things that the fraud team's never going to care about. There's some things that the security teams are never going to care about. But the feedback loops are amazing. Right? So when uh, when the security team might normally make a account security decision on if someone should be stepped up over, you know, let's say MFA or not. But, you know, the fraud team knows about what they did. They know that they did something very risky. They know they did something potentially abusive to the platform once they were given access. Being able to build that feedback loop in creates an immense level of trust in the, the decisions that both organizations are making. What we tend to find is that like, there are different cost models that are associated with both. So like finding a way to bring those two budgets together actually tends to be more of a challenge than anything else. The upsides are very real in the sense that you know, the security team usually has access to a larger budget, and the fraud team usually can tie a lot clearer ROI to the projects that they do uh, actually execute on. So there is a, a possibility to really bring those together uh, artfully and just get the best of both worlds. Great. Interesting. And how are you guys constantly staying up on the new threats that are out there, the new tactics that threat actors are, are so cleverly coming up with? Um, yeah, how, how do you make sure that your product stays on top of, of what you're seeing out there? So our customers bring us a lot. And like one of the core principles of what we built is that, you know, uh, when we first set out, they're like, well, you can't build a fraud platform for everyone because, uh, you know, in order to, in order to build this, you would have to know, the nuances of every, you know, all of their businesses and all of their technology stacks. So instead, we built, you know, this trust platform for the internet. We like literally operate on the wire between the end user and the, the environment that we're protecting. So that allows us some flexibility to really adapt to things incredibly quickly, uh, which is like a core tenet of uh, of the product and what we do. Uh, our customers bring us really, really interesting problems. Uh, you know, uh, refund abuse is pretty rampant right now. Um, it's it's you know, relatively easy to detect with a platform, but impossible to detect if you are looking for fraud and checkpoints. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like that's been like really phenomenal because they, uh, the bad actors do this like really effortless hop between calling uh, into a service center versus doing things online. Uh, and that, you know, allows them to you know, kind of like break through and escalate when normally policy would catch them. The other uh, is on... Uh, like compromise social logins. At the end of the day, people who are committing fraud rely on that as a source of income. So during dry spells, sometimes they need the ability to generate something that they can sell to another bad actor, right? So if it's a, hey, we're going to sign into a whole bunch of different uh, you know, accounts or create new accounts via like social sign up that doesn't have email verification, and then we will just sell those to somebody else who will continue to check those to see if like a real user actually ever shows up. So it's it's one of those things where like the economy moves up and down for everyone, even cyber criminals. <laughs> so so uh, it's uh, it's it's interesting to see what they do in order to you know, close up some gaps in their livelihood. Yeah, never a dull moment. <laughs> well, thanks for your time today. I want to leave you with the chance if we haven't covered everything that you want to kind of make sure you get out there for um, for our members and our public. Anthony, I'll turn it to you first, just just in case there's something that we haven't touched on that you you would like to to share. Sure. Yeah. N- nothing uh, in particular uh, that that we haven't covered. Just want to you know thank you for for your time and having us on on the podcast today. And uh, yeah, it's really great to be here. Yeah. Nate, anything from you? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. It's just been it's been fantastic. You know, both uh, you know, obviously appearing here and, and talking with you, but just working with the uh, the RHISAC community in general has been wonderful. But yeah, we have been helping merchants and marketplaces who are doing things like launch international payments or consolidate their fraud and payment spend or you know build connectivity between digital experience, security, and fraud. Like it is like literally our core bailiwick of what we do. But yeah, visit us at uh, www.specprotected.com. And we're super happy to uh, help out the membership. Great. And we have the recorded showcase, Emerging Tech Showcase, that people can find on our website. So that's also another place that they can check you out. But really, thank you for your time, for your support of the industry. It's a very interesting product. I know when when we looked at it, I think it is a unique stance. And uh, I hope people check you out. I appreciate it so much, Susie. We're going to take a quick break and hear a message from our sponsor, Fortinet. Stick around because after that, Lee is going to share with us some retail and hospitality industry insights comparing our member community trends to what was published in the 2022 Verizon Data Breach Investigation Report. You won't want to miss it. Today's show is brought to you by Fortinet. Fortinet provides retailers with top-rated cybersecurity solutions covering the expanding attack surface. Advantages include centralized visibility and management, lower TCO, and top performance. Proven threat protection and seamless fabric integration delivers better, faster response to attacks across the entire network, including point-of-sale systems and other devices carrying sensitive information. And Fortinet helps simplify compliance with PCI DSS and other regulations. As digital innovation and the need to provide always-on customer experiences drive network transformation, Retail cybersecurity has become more vital. It's essential to have a security partner that can provide simplified security and networking to keep customers' data safe and enable a superior consumer experience. For more information, contact the Fortinet team at retail at fortinet.com. Hi, everybody. Uh, Welcome back. Every year, cyber researchers at Verizon release their data breach investigation report. They call it the DBIR. It's got an in-depth quantitative analysis of the cyber threat landscape they saw for the year, and it's broken down really, really granularly by attack type, region, industry, malware types. So this year, what our data and intel teams did is we decided to take this year's DBIR report and put it up against our own observations for that same time period. So the 2022 report looks at the data from 2021, right? So what we did is we examined our members reporting for intelligence and their sharing of RFIs to see how the trends compared and contrast to the information that Verizon found for the threat landscape. And what we found that RHISAC's member reporting and sharing largely confirmed the trends identified Verizon. Credential harvesting, ransomware, phishing represented the biggest threats facing the community. However, we were able to get a little bit more in-depth because RHISAC data tracking provides significantly more specific detail for our community's threat landscape, such as uh, specific malwares that members observe and stop and report. And we also found that for RFIs, the community tended to be more interested in questions of policy and organizational issues Then they were in threat intelligence, which sort of demonstrates the various levels of cybersecurity that our community operates on, right? So Verizon's main reporting was that the most common attack methods they saw were stolen credentials, ransomware, and phishing. 
the most commonly targeted data were payment data, personally identifiable information, credentials, intellectual property, and non-sensitive data. They found that 73% of breaches were executed by external actors, and only 18% of breaches were executed by internal actors, often called insider threats. 39% of attacks originated with third-party vendors, and 82% of incidents resulted from a human error. Now, while the Verizon report didn't specify the individual malwares most prevalent in their research, their placement of credential theft as the primary threat to the retail, accommodation, and arts and entertainment sectors matches up with RHI sec data. So for those sectors, uh, retail matches with ours pretty well. But accommodation and arts and entertainment most closely align to what we at the RHI sec refer to as the travel and hospitality sectors. And, and those sectors all report credential harvesting and credential theft as the primary threat that they see on almost an exponential scale. They see it far more prevalently than the next most common themes of attacks, which for the 2021 period were Log4J, Emotet, Agent Tesla, CACBOT, Drydex, and Cobalt Strike, right? But far and away, credential harvesting was the most prevalent type of data that they reported for us. So Verizon reported that the majority of incidents they researched focused on using malware to capture payment data or deliver ransomware, which also tracks with RHISAC data. Uh, ransomware and phishing attempts make up a significant portion of the top 10 threats reported by our members for the 2021 period. In addition to members shared in RHISAC reported threat intel, we also field a great many RFIs for our members where they're asking questions of their peers, right? So we largely categorize these RFIs into five key areas. They are security and architecture, risk management, special interest and resilience, security operations, and threat intelligence. Far and away, for both groups, uh, security architecture usually looks like the most common theme of RFIs that get asked. But to that point, the CISO community tends to ask way more questions about security architecture than the analyst community does. And I think that's probably reflected by uh, job responsibilities, right, where analysts are more closely aligned to the day-to-day operations of running a cybersecurity operation. And CISOs are more concerned with overall business and structural concerns. That trend kind of continued for risk management, where exponentially CISOs asked about risk management questions more than analysts. Interestingly, for special interest and resilience and threat intelligence, the numbers are much closer. For special interest and resilience, CISOs and analysts tend to ask questions related to those themes of their peers pretty closely together. Uh, and for threat intelligence, analysts only ask a couple of percentage points more often about threat intelligence than their CISO counterparts do. Now, for security operations, uh, that one's really interesting because analysts tend to ask questions about security operations, normally questions about tool usage or integration or how to maximize the efficiency of their environments. 
they ask those questions at more than double the rate uh, that CISOs tend to, right? But on average, our threat intelligence analysts ask a lot about the threat intelligence category due to the focused nature of our work, right? So the value that really comes out of this report is that Verizon takes a global look, both geopolitically and by region. And they also uh, break down by business size, which helps us because RHISAC members run the gamut of very small businesses to some of the largest businesses uh, on Earth, right? So that helps as well. But what that allows us to do is it allows us to compare what other reliable and skilled security teams see to what we actually see on a granular level within our community. And that helps us benchmark our progress in helping our members defend against these threats that are global. And it helps see how other industry trends interact with us. I think one of the one of the primary looks that came out of this was that the education sector uh, gets targeted more than any other sector, right? And that, at a glance, looks different from the RHI SAC community, but they intersect in a number of ways. Uh, for instance, any organization within the RHI SAC community is going to leverage educational institutions for training their workforce or for partnering with, right? It's going to be quite common. So the threats there highlight things like uh, supply chain risk and third-party risk, where all security is interconnected. Our members don't just have to worry about the threats that are directly related to their own sectors, but they have to worry about the threats to sectors that interact with them. And us being able to break down our own industry versus what the Verizon report says about our industry and what the Verizon report says about other industries uh, has been tremendously helpful to our members thus far. Thanks, Lee. That report is available for anyone to download from the report section of our website at www.rhisec.org, and the link is also available in the description of this episode. Thanks, everybody, for tuning into this episode of the RHISEC podcast, and make sure you subscribe to get alerts whenever new episodes are available. Lee, thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you back on the podcast again. Thanks, Susie. It's been terrific. Bye, everybody.